Coming up, 16 games in and 20% down. What have the Brooklyn Nets accomplished to this point of the season? And how has key frontman Jacques Vaughn handled the ups and downs of this roster? Are we impressed? Are we suspect? We dive in coming up next. You are Locked On Nets, your daily Brooklyn Nets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Ah, yes, my friends, it is the Locked On Nets podcast right here on the Locked On Podcast Network. It's your team, the Brooklyn Nets, every single day. Over there is Doug Norrie. I'm Adam Armbrecht. We thank you, as always, for making us your first listen of the day. We are 100% free on all those great platforms. And let you know today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel. Make every moment more. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. That's $150. If your team wins, visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On to get started. And Doug, as we usually do each and every year, we reach these benchmark moments right now, 16 games, a fifth of the way through the season. And we want to take a step back and evaluate where we think this team is, where this roster is. But at the highest level, it may come down to Jock Vaughn and what he's done versus expectations so far. Yeah, fifth of the way through. I think it's in some ways it's like sort of easy to evaluate the Nets and what the Nets have done. And I think in other ways it's really difficult to evaluate what the Nets have done. This has been a season that's been marked by inconsistency, mostly just around the players that they have available, which obviously is going to become sort of one of the keys to what we're going to talk about when it comes to Jacques Vaughn. But I, we thought it was a good time to just like maybe just sort of bring up like the job that he's done so far. I think he's a pretty polarizing guy among the fan base um, mm-hmm. for sure. I don't think he is. I know he is a polarizing guy in the fan base. And sometimes opinions about coaches and players, but coaches specifically are hard to change once you are rooted in your opinion. <laughs> and I do wonder if those on like the, the you know the Vaughn is great side will can find ways to I don't, I'm not sure I think this is a lesser number but Vaughn is great side like can find ways to you know sort of poke holes in some of the things he done or conversely on the you know, we I don't want Jock Vaughn I want him you know gone yesterday side can begin to look at like what's happened here and maybe see you know a little bit of a ray of of sunshine at what's coming through because I think that this is not as clear as he's good, he's bad. I think that the answer is, for, I mean, definitively in the middle. Yeah, 100%, right? You say 16 games in, they're 500, they're 8-8. Eight and eight. Now, before we drill down on maybe some of what we think he's doing well within the system, right, how he's functioning on a game-to-game basis, in-game adjustments, those have been things that we've talked about in a lot of our post games. It is, of course, remiss if we don't remind everybody, if you're not following the Nets every single day, that you are talking about a team that has been without now Ben Simmons, that's been without now Cam Thomas, that didn't have Cameron Johnson to start the year, and is also now without him, that's dealt with some in and outs for Nicholas Claxton, and that's also introduced new players, right? Dennis Smith Jr., also been without him for a chunk of time, but Lonnie Walker, guys that have played well, blending them in with some of the veterans that you have, like Dorian Finney-Smith and Royce O'Neal. So you wouldn't say, by any stretch, that this has been the cleanest 16 game sample size by which to judge someone. So I'll start with that. With that as the premise, I'll say that I I've really liked what the nets have done 
And I have to at least give some amount of credit to Jock Vaughn. He's the head coach. And I think sometimes fans want to separate that, right? Well, the team goes out and performs well. Obviously, they're exceeding expectations. Teams go, goes out and performs poorly. Why didn't the coach do X, Y, or Z? We've lived this nightmare when it comes to centers, rebounders, right? And the litany of players that guys will throw out and say, this is what Jock Vaughn isn't doing right. If I'm going to trust our premise that when the team wins the game, you have to say that the process was correct when it pays off. More often than not this year, I'd say that it has paid off, even if there have been you know, lumpy quarters, there have been some head-scratching decisions. When they get more wins than losses in games we think they should win, th then he's done it right. Like So from that premise, I think he's at least done a good job over these first 16 with a lot to deal with. If before the season you said, "Hey, they're going to be," they're, if you looked at the first sixteen games and you said, "And they're going to miss thirty-nine games from the guys you just mentioned before: Simmons, Claxton, Cam Johnson, and Cam Thomas." Once you knew that Thomas was like, you know, the guy, right? Go like we yeah. saw, started to see it in preseason. So what the second preseason ends when people are relatively healthy, and you look at that schedule, and you know Cam Thomas is, you know, possibly going to be starting or at least going to be playing a big minute role. If you then said they're going to be missing thirty-nine games from those guys. I, I'm positive. I'm positive. Like your your expectation would be lower than eight and eight. Uh, it oh. it has to be. It's it's it was five hundred. I, I did a, a poll before the season started, and basically the number was like four and six through the first ten games, at and best. that was with at best, and that was or five. It was like four and six, five and five consensus, and that was with everyone healthy. So now you back out all the injuries and to look at the record and you, and you know, positive point differential, some metrics that have them ranked really high, you know, some, you know, some areas where they, they're definitely, you know, a bit weaker. I'm just saying from that, I'm actually not even making the case strongly for Vaughn. I can really probably go either way here. I can point to flaws in his systems. I think, mm -hmm. and I think I can point to positives and I think, and we'll go through some of those things. All I'm saying is just on that level, just the record and, and knowing the context around what's happened, I just don't know another situation unless you were already really biased going into it <laughs> about how you felt about the situation. Independently, I'm not sure how you can look at that and say the coach stinks. It's like impossible. It's totally impossible. I, you just, how bad can the guy be if these are the things? Now, maybe you don't like, maybe you don't like certain micro decisions or you don't mm -hmm. like certain styles. I, I get that part of it. But just like labeling him as bad, get him out of here. You are, you're just kind of telling on yourself, I think, a little bit that it's just because there's just no way to have these results and, and 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 still feel that same way. It's kind of impossible to me. Yeah, this is not as we remember reflecting back on the Steve Nash era of the Brooklyn Nets, where there were times when coming out of timeouts, right, the set pieces, the possessions, the quote plays did not look like anyone had necessarily been told anything inside of those huddles when moments would pass by and you'd say, it doesn't look like Steve Nash has a sense of, of where he needs to go here or guys that should or should not be in the rotations, right? A figurehead is what we end up talking about Steve Nash with. Jacques Vaughn at a minimum is not that. And to your point, we'll get into it, whether or not we agree with everything that he's done. And I also, in a second, I'm going to remind everybody when you look back over the course of this schedule, the reason why even in the losses of an eight and eight record, there has been success for this team dealing with everything that they have. We'll tap into that as well as individual player performances along the way coming up here in just one second. All right, before we get into that, I'll tell you about our friends over at FanDuel. No better time to get in on the action on FanDuel. They're giving new customers 
$150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. Now, what, what do you, how does that help you? Okay, let me tell you how it's going to help you. Going into this game against the Raptors, Brooklyn Nets are minus two, money line minus 132. You think the Nets are just going to win this thing? You get your money in on the minus 132 on the Brooklyn Nets. Just a five dollar bet over there. Hundred and the Nets win. They got to pull. They got to. They got to help you. You scratch their back. They're going to scratch yours. Hundred and fifty dollars coming your way in bonus bets if Brooklyn were to take it. Any money line bet's going to get the job done there. Uh, five dollars over on over on Fanduel. There's no better time to get in the action on Fanduel spreads, player props, over unders, so much more. Visit Fanduel.com/slash/lockedon. Kick off this NBA season. Fanduel is the official partner of the NFL. All right, so as we continue our fifth of the way, Mark, our 16 games in on the Nets NBA season, and just kind of taking the poll. Where do we think this team is? Where do we think Jacques Vaughn has taken them? One of the things I mentioned there was when you go back and look at this schedule. So it would be really easy to say over these first 16 games, like we know they've beaten Chicago and they're a bad team. They've gotten two wins off of them. We know they have two wins against Miami, and the, and the second of those came against the depleted roster. No, Adebi- no Bam Adebayo, no Jimmy Butler, no Robinson, no Tyler Hero for extended time for that team. But more importantly, I think, than looking at some of the wins is going back and reminding you, and this is when they had full strength and not, but you lost by one point against Cleveland. You were within five against Dallas and that Chuck from Luka. You also played teams like Boston. You got blown out in one. You played them tough in one game. Milwaukee, you played them 129 to 125. The losses on this ledger for this team, I actually think are the reason why against Philadelphia, 121 to 99. The reason why I think Jock Vaughn has done a pretty darn good job, especially dealing with these injuries and having rotations that have called upon bench players to step up in big ways. Listen, the, the, the results, those guys making or missing their shots go a long way to how you perceive it. But he's pushed the right buttons a lot of times, including playing with a little bit of a shorter rotation. We, You and I often talk about, I'd like to see more of player X or Y, but by and large, they have won half their games and they've been darn close in almost all yeah. of their losses. And that's really the story here for me early on. That's what I was going to say first. And, and again, believe me, we're going to poke holes here. It's not going to be all positive. It's mostly just sort of reacting to what I think is like sort of an overreaction going the other way on Vaughn and painting a yes. picture that it might not be all that case. I think you make a really good point to start is that these guys clearly play hard for him. Like they've been in every game except for the ball, except for the Boston game. Right, like they have not been. They they got blow. Oh, no, sorry, they got killed by Philly. Um, they except, I would say except for that Philly game, they got killed. The Boston game was a rough one at Boston. That's a really really tough groups. And Boston and Philly, these teams are in the championship conversation, right? So those are the two games that I would label to be blowouts out of the sixteen. Fourteen other games have all been close. Um, they've won a couple going away, and the losses, like you said, have generally like been in the range of hey we're getting down to the wire here and they just weren't able to close some of it out. You don't get extra points for close losses. I I totally get that. But I do think that this group does play hard for him. Exhibit a getting throttled by, by Chicago the other night and coming all the way back. Now you'll say, well, they shouldn't have been down a million points. I I can hear that. Also, all I'm pointing out to is I do think the guys play hard for him, right? I don't think we've had an effort issue. I think in the past we've wondered about some of the effort, from the team. I actually have not, there's been no concern with that this year. Um, So I do think that that is like sort of part of the, it's part of the algebra here to put together is that this is a team that plays hard every night with the understanding that there's been very little continuity because of the injuries. Like they've, they've had continuity issues just because the guys have really important key pieces of this line. These lineups have been, have missed extended time. And that's a really hard thing to deal with. Um, 
we've seen sort of at times an unwillingness to change around some stuff. But I do think like just starting there and saying to you, uh, you know, if we look at this, a top, we look at the whole view here and look at all the games together. This is not a team that rolls over. This is not a team that just, you know, gets down early and just goes away. This is not a team that's played tons of minutes together. And yet they're still just still trying to probably figure things out on the fly. I mean, how much is the coach involved in that? It has to be some, right? I don't know if it's the whole, I don't know if it's the whole equation and I'm not going to give them all the credit for that, but you can't give them negative points for it either. Right. Well, so think, like, yeah, that was going to be a big part of it for me is, and I think and we always say this when you're inside of your, your team, the team that you follow, you look at your head coach critically, you look at the players more critically. Sure. Now, when you look out across the landscape and you say, look at Orlando, they're performing very well. Well, their head coach must be pushing all the right buttons. You're always willing to give credit for the, you know, the outside building things that you observe from afar, where internally it's always going to be what a step up performance from player X, what a great job by player Y. And the head coach is always going to be the one where when it goes wrong, like this feels, uh, this is symbolic of the NFL, right? When, when, when you win the game, if you're the quarterback, you say, oh man, great team effort. Everybody played their role. When you lose the game, ah, shoot, I got to be better. I think that's generally the way NBA head coaches are treated, right? If everything goes well, great shot, lights out, all those things. The Chicago example, the most recent one. Hey, if they don't come back in that game, then it's all going to be on Jock Vaughn for not making different decisions inside of the rotations or the roster. Whereas I think you and I might've come out of that game and said, well, shame on all these guys. How are you not beating a bad Chicago Bulls team, right? You're better than this team. You should be going out there and being able to beat them unless it was glaring issues. And I think that's something we can touch on now, right? What has been some of the high-level stuff that we have been a little bothered by and we could see potentially over the next 16 games, right? Saying, yeah, some of those warts now are getting a little bit uglier for us and then Vaughn needs to make adjustments. Yeah, for sure. Some of the, I would say, top-level things that I've seen that I've been sort of had frustrations with Vaughn during the course of this season. One, I do think there's a time, at times, he has relied too much on veterans and reluctantly brought younger, more inexperienced guys into the fold, sort of only when he had to. Uh, and I think that is a flaw, right? I don't think he gets full credit for some of the younger guys playing because I don't think that really would have ever happened if everyone had stayed healthy. I think he's always going to lean a little too heavy on the on the veterans in like different spots. A good example of this would be, I thought, and th I'm just going to pick this one example because it's front of mind. I thought Dayron Sharp should have started last game against uh, mm -hmm. uh, against Chicago. I think they leaned into a wing-heavy approach to try to tax the bigs, but I also just think he likes starting Royce, Royce O'Neal, <laughs> right? Like I think that he like would just rather start Royce O'Neal because he likes Royce O'Neal because he's a he's a reliable veteran. Looks and down I think, the bench, says, Dayron, take one step to the left. Royce suit up. <laughs> I think there's lots of examples of like that happening, like Cam Thomas taking forever to come into the fold, like yep. Lonnie Walker, like, you know, just kind of having to be was kind of buried to start. And then it turns out he's going to he's like in six man of the year conversation. I think these were sort of circumstance. And I don't know if he really would have done those things because I think he wants to play these veterans a little bit more than a team that maybe should be a bit in developmental stage. I do think that's a flaw. Like, I think that's a for sure flaw. And I think if you point to that as an issue, I think there's, I think there's for sure merit in it. I'm using that Royce example. Cause it just happened. There's lots of examples like this. Oh, sure. And by the way, I can drill down here. Cause I was just looking at these numbers, the Brooklyn nets, when you go in and we know all the injuries we talked about at the top of the show here behind Mikhail bridges, it's Dorian Finney-Smith and Royce O'Neal that have played played the most total minutes through the first 16 games of this season. Now they happen to be two the two top three point shooters in terms of percentage. They also represent though 61 minutes combined on average per game. So to your now there's been production there, 
But on a matchup to matchup basis on situational basketball, you could make the very strong case that that Vaughn should be willing to go to some of these other guys, Trendon Wofford, yep. right? Very yes. high on him from the get-go. Lonnie Walker, as you said, listen, there, there should be no reason from camp through training to preseason to not look at Lonnie Walker and go, oh, this guy can clearly serve this role for us. Let's get more of it now, not wait for it later. This is not an excuse for Jacques Vaughn, but I also think that this is fundamentally the way this organization came into this season. This has been their approach, and it actually could be. This potentially could be damning. It took Cam Thomas being nuclear, to say, okay, we yeah. can no longer tell you and I, you're not worthy of minutes, yeah. right? I think that's examples like what I'm talking about, right? I think it's shaking too long. I think he's too just inclined to just go with sort of the easy older guys when when presented like the choice between A or B, right? Like I think he feels... And Trenton Watford, like, by the way, is again, sorry, I don't mean to cut you off, because we're going to get into like some individual player evaluations through 16 games. Trenton Watford would be a prime example of this as Ben Simmons goes out, right? As you lose ball handlers, it should yeah. not take a lot for Jacques Vaughn to look down the roster and say, he is one of our better ball handlers and gives us some size and get, you know, gives us some three point shooting. He kind of solves a lot of the problems we have. Is he a perfect player? No, but nobody else that you're going to go to is Royce O'Neal is not a perfect player. So that I think this is, as I'm realizing it in, in this moment does boil my blood a little bit that we're seeing a lot more of 30 year old guys, as opposed to some of the early 20 year olds that could functionally be a part of this core well beyond this season. And I think that's been a problem over spanning over a full season now. Like, right. And this is why we didn't see Cam earlier and these other things. If you want to log, log that as a complaint, you it's, there's no, there's no pushback against it. It's true. It's like a problem. It's been a problem. I have a couple other uh, negatives on the ledger here, which I want to get into. going to get into those here in one second. First, going to tell you about our friends over at Prize Picks. Prize Picks is a daily fantasy made so very easy. Prize Picks took all the fun stuff in daily fantasy, removed the more difficult things, and just made a really, really cool experience that you can get into every single day. All you're doing on Prize Picks is you're going against the Prize Picks projections. You're just going more or less on what they put up there. You put together two to five picks. You can win up to 25 times your money, and you're just going more or less on their projections when it comes to points, rebounds, assists, steals, blocks. That's just for the NBA. They get NFL too, you know, yards touchdowns rushing yards receiving yards catches it's all there you can combine i said you can do two to five players together you can combine sports also they get some injury protection you're not going to really find that anywhere else they have a reboot policy that even one of your players get gets injured uh you're going to get that play rebooted no other operator out there is doing this kind of thing for you prize picks just want you to have fun and they want you to go against them and that's kind of the whole story and you got to get in on the action right now. You go to prizepicks.com slash locked on NBA. Use the code locked on NBA for a first deposit match up to $100. That's prizepicks.com slash locked on NBA. Use the code locked on NBA. First deposit match up to $100. Prize picks is daily fantasy sports made easy. So, as we tie a bow on the first 16 games of the Brooklyn Nets season, eight and eight, I think overwhelmingly we feel positive. We're drilling down a little bit on Jock Vaughn. If you want to hit those couple of scenarios before we get to some player grades here, because while mentioning a guy like Royce O'Neill, there, there is a part of this where it's like, and he might be one of the good reasons why this team has kept its head above water through these first 16 games. I think there is a weird operation trying to be accomplished here, which goes above Jock Vaughn until what this season is is supposed to be through our eyes versus what the team and organization wants it to be. 
All right, so this will be damning with fame praise. Like, so it's on the one hand, I'll say that I like the strategy of shooting a lot of three pointers. They're fourth in the league, sixth in the league in attempts, fourth overall in three point uh, percentage. And when that's going to be your main offense, the offense is going to, to some degree, lack creativity because you're just saying like your mo is just to be go out there and shoot threes. I do think the offensive, the offense lacks uh, sort of creativity at times like you would like to see more off ball movement Mm -hmm. you would like to see them run just more you know off ball screens whether that's like through you know zoom actions whether that's going to be just like through a variety of pin downs you really don't see that happen too often within this offense i don't know if it's it's kind of like first man's got to beat their guy and then ball movement starts after that um which is why they struggle with like really you know very good defensive teams because like they have no outs when that happens so i don't love that at all um, and that's why you see him run into problems with really, really good teams. And I don't think it's all just talent. I, I, I think there is scheme stuff here that is a problem. I have one more. Go ahead. No, no. And I think just on that point, I'm going to use Mikhail Bridges as one of the things that I've been disappointed in. Now, I could say it's him individually, or I could say, to, as you mentioned, that it's the coaching and it's the scheme. Okay, Mikhail Bridges is not the perfect on-ball player, and he can't take guys on an ISO and beat dudes off the dribble left and right. He is still one of your best players, if not your best player. So how do you scheme him opportunities? How do you find ways to create spots for him to get into his rhythm? We've seen some of these games of late where he's really gotten into that early on. The three-point shooting has started to come back around. But if I want to go back to the last 27 games from last year, where remember, everything was, well, it was hard. We're all trying to learn from different systems. It's a lot of go out there and just make it happen. Well, I can make a strong case that Mikhail Bridges going out there and making it happen last year with maybe out a ton of coaching has looked better than a lot of coaching this season, right? So getting your best players, the best opportunity to be successful, that's on the head coach. And if Mikhail is, is struggling early on, it's up to Jock Vaughn to manufacture that. What was your second point? Uh, the other second thing is that the defense has been just bad. And I wonder, oh, yeah. like, I forgot like, about that part where we're supposed to be really good defensively. And that's a major complaint too. Like, uh, and I think that, and it's confusing because on the, you know, on, on a high level, you would say, well, they have the personnel that this should, this was supposed to be like their strength, right? It was what their yeah. defense was supposed to be a strength, a source of strength for them between clacks and nights missed a lot of games. But even when they, it hasn't been like amazing defensive ratings, even when he's been on the court, I mean, between him, you want to say like Mikhail is supposed to be a high level defender. I don't know if he's probably taken a step down. Um, and then, you know, they have just other like personnel that are supposed to be like more of defensively minded, right? Dorian Finney Smith, you know, Royce O'Neal to some degree, obviously Simmons when he's out there, like, They've had the guys out there that you they shouldn't be 22nd in defensive rating. Yeah. Let me put it that way. Like they just with this group, they should not be this low in defensive rating. And I wonder, like it's like a little too switch heavy at times, probably. And they instituted some drop defense, which has not totally worked all the time. Don't have the personnel for it. They're probably caught a little bit in between with some personnel issues. That where it's just like it's going to be hard to be great, great, but they shouldn't be this bad. And mm-hmm. I think that like we've seen at times where like in the bull, like let's say the second quarter against the Bulls, where they got real feisty and just got real like after it. Mm-hmm. I think like that's probably what they need to be like all the time, and they're just not. And they don't have the personnel to sort of fall back into not being like that. And when they're not like that, they have real problems. And I think that is on the coach. Like that is like, they are not able to dial up a defensive intensity requisite to the guys that they have. And I think that like, that's sort of a problem. They are able to go through it in spurts, but the defensive schemes are just not working. 
and there's really just no case that they are like it should. And I, and that is probably based on when you looked up and down the roster. Yeah. Outside of Dennis Smith jr. When healthy, the, the scheme, the, the operation of trying to fight under or over screens for the backcourt and these guards has never worked all season long, right? Been a repeatable problem over and over again. You mentioned some of the drop coverage things. D- Dorian Finney Smith, who you model as a pure three and D type of player, has a near 119 defensive rating on the season right now. Almost shocked to see that Royce O'Neal is at around 115. But but and this is where and not not an excuse for Jacques Vaughn, but it's like, how are you getting the most out of guys that are, as we've said this before on this podcast, are getting away from their best, their best years? So Royce O'Neal still knocking down. He's a little more streaky game to game from beyond the arc, but I I, I watch him now defensively and see a guy that's getting, I think, a half a step slower, right? It just yep. feels like a dude that is about to fall off. And that goes back to Doug and I saying, why is he still on this team after the trade deadline last year? He no longer represents a first round pick value if he ever did. Same thing with Dorian Finney-Smith. Now him overall, offensively especially, has been so important to what this team has been able to accomplish over the start of the year. But when is that cliff starting to going to start to press here? We may be starting to see it. I even if that's the case, I still go back to Jock Vaughn and say it's up to you to manufacture this. It's up to yeah. you now. Again, Cam Thomas. Obviously, we, we we know how good he was, and hopefully gets back healthy here. So you've lost something in that. Ben Simmons, though, what is he not offensively? How do you maximize him defensively? There's a lot of players we can go chapter and verse that we believe and have given a sample size at the NBA level of being high-end defensive players, and a lot of them have shared the court together, and none of them have looked like those guys. And outside of these kind of gritty bursts, we haven't seen that identity that Jock Vaughn said he wanted to instill in this team. From that standpoint, Um, Doug, go ahead. I want to say one more thing, too. I think Jock Vaughn has done well with or done fine with the situation that's been presented. Like when we laid out, you know, sort of who wasn't here, and Mm -hmm. a lot of these guys are new to the team and this stuff and where they kind of are. Like, I think that's been fine. I think in some ways he's been, I said this on Twitter too. I I think he's been a little lucky around the injuries to some degree because he hasn't had to make really tough decisions either. Like this is a roster where, where they are going to, this isn't luck. It's not luck to lose your best guys. I'm just saying from a optic standpoint, they're hopefully (laughs) whenever is everyone's going to get healthy at once. And there's going to be some very interesting decisions to be made about who should actually be playing and who should be starting and who should get majority of the playing time. Because now we've seen a group of guys that at least 10 guys that deserve like real NBA minutes. Yeah. And that just, that math just doesn't work. (laughs) It just doesn't work. Like if they're all healthy, there's just not enough minutes. And we, and I think Vaughn's gotten bailed out on having to probably answer tough questions about like, hey, who's the starting five going to be? Is 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 player is is Ben Simmons going to come off the bench? Is Spencer Dimmick going to come off the bench? Is Cam Thomas going to come off the bench? Like, one of these guys is coming off the bench if everyone's healthy. He's never had to. Ha- he has not had to go through that yet. It'll be fascinating to see. I I can't wait because I want everyone to be playing. But it'll be fascinating to see what happens. And, and that's why as we as we close out here, giving our grades for Jock Vaughn and really for yeah. the team overall, we'll talk players, I think, over the next couple of games, because technically, by the way, by the way, guys, 16 games, it's really like 80 uh, if you go a fifth of the way. So we still got two to play with. But for me, it's why I'll say incomplete. And I don't mean that negatively or positively, but because of exactly what you're illustrating. As guys get back healthy, even take Ben Simmons off the table here, maybe. Just as this team is fully healthy, and as we're seeing Trendon Watford play well, Lonnie Walker, right? We questioned about why are some of his minutes getting throttled back. 
over the next, especially with some very winnable games here, there are going to be plenty of samples where I'm going to start to develop a stronger sense of, is this his commitment to veterans? Is it the organization's process of this season? Or is he going to allow the results to inform his decision-making? Because if you are, then there are plenty of players that need to start coming up the pecking order and a few that need to start coming down. That, that's just the brass tacks. And then even when it comes to rotations, Ben Simmons does come back at some point here. How do you sort out the starting five? Who comes off the bench? Because there's more than enough talent to be very balanced across your starting and second units. It's up to him to solve those problems. So I think we will be able to give a concrete, at least I will, a concrete grade, another 10 to 15 games from now potentially. But I'm actually kind of comfortable saying, hey, you're 500, you've made it to this point, and now the next 10 to 15, I'll really see what you're worth. Yeah, I'm going to go B minus. Like, I just can't give the guy lower than that with the team being eight and eight with knowing all these injuries. Like, I just, yeah, and I'm good with that. Yeah, yeah. That alone, like, that's just it. Like, you know, I just, how can you go lower than that? I I just don't, it's like, you're just not, I just don't think you're just being intellectually honest. If you, if you looking at all the context around it, I'm, and and I'm far more positive on the positive side than the negative with him to this point of the season. What was your grade? Did you give a grade? Sorry. I said incomplete, but if you press me, I think I would say B minus because I, I, I'm like, you can't go much higher than that. And I certainly can't talk about him being a C level coach, given everything that we illustrate. And the fact that this team not. has won far more games by this point than anybody probably expected starting out the year, right? All of the metrics have changed. D- Doug, they're sixth in ESPN's BPI for crying out loud. Coach of the year. Ship them to the ship them to the Eastern Conference Finals already. Well, I haven't played the rest of the season. All right, we're gonna get out of here. Much appreciated, everyone that jumped in. YouTube, subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Subscribe, and tomorrow, well, today probably when you're listening, we're gonna do a pregame for the Toronto Brooklyn game where we're gonna outline all the different play in scenarios because it's a pretty cool, it's a really cool night in basketball Tuesday night. And so that's but you're gonna get that on the preview podcast. So go make sure you check that out. You better believe it. In season tournament, baby, it is hard to teach an old dog new tricks. That's Billy Camden. Oh, one of the all-time great poets. We'll be back again tomorrow talking more Brooklyn Nets basketball.